0: Hello, and welcome to Boss Talks, a weekly podcast where we chat with the bosses of the multifamily industry. Who are these bosses? They might be a manager of many, a leader with no title, or just passionate about what they do. Join our host, Evan Happel, Director of Marketing at Community Boss, as he talks with this week's guest. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Boss Talks, episode 56. We have a great guest today, Lisa Russell. She's currently in Virginia on vacation, but normally she comes out of the Carolinas. Right now, she is going solo, doing some consulting work. Her business is called RJC Asset Management, and she's the chief innovation officer, which I love. I love some innovation in my life. She's doing consulting for both PropTech and also the property management side of the business. So really excited to hear about the things going on in her life since we last talked. Also, she had some predictions for things going on in real estate. She's been in the industry for around 36 years, if I calculated it correctly. So she's been at it a long time. She's seen a lot. And she's been in asset management, property management. She had a prop tech company that was sold to RealPage back a few years ago. So she's touched her hand in a little bit of everything, which is exciting and fun. And I'm really excited to talk to her about all that. We're gonna get into things like transitioning to automation to improve customer and employee satisfaction, and also just the rampant fraud that's going on in multifamily and how we're dealing with it. But I'm your host, Evan Happel. I'm with community boss. I'm the director of marketing for them. We have a great solution for property management in the prop tech world. We do everything from managing parking and amenities and mapping, generating revenue, all through a great user-friendly interface for your end user, the resident. So if you have any questions about that, let me know. But today we're getting into it with Lisa. So here we go. Hi, Evan. How's it going?
1: Great, great to be on. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I'm I'm so happy to have you. I remember I actually reached out to you because you were my, I want to say at the time, 500th follow for the Boss Talks page on LinkedIn. And I was like, hey, what about being a guest? And you were like, let's do this. And honestly, I didn't know you at the time. So I didn't know that you had, not only were you enthusiastic about following the page, you also are a person that just has a breadth of knowledge, wisdom, and so much just industry-like knowledge to share and you just so much you've learned, obviously, through the years. So I'm really excited to talk to you. And I'm really wanting to know your take on, and we'll get to that, but the prediction stuff where we're at with that, where we're probably going, sure, and all, and all that stuff. Let's get controversial as much as possible, obviously.
1: I Actually, exactly. That's what I like to get that passion going, and I'm passionate about multifamily. So it's, it's easy to speak to.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. So some people, I'll just get it out of the way. They'll see I'm wearing a hat. It says Maui, the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I was in Maui last week everybody knows some things happened fire i'm okay me and my wife we're good we got home we came home early but it was definitely a very sad and tragic thing that happened there and is ongoing happening the aftermath of it all and my heart and prayers go out to them it's definitely still on my mind i experienced that whole thing on vacation in a place i was unfamiliar with so it's definitely definitely an experience not If nothing else, but there, we did talk a little bit before the show, just about things regarding similarly, like being ready for things, natural disasters and stuff, and how that affects even things like multifamily, like alert systems and things like that. We'll definitely get into that a little bit in a bit before we jump into all that though. I have three questions I love to start the show with, get things flowing and get people familiar and just comfortable as we go live. Sure. So, so Lisa, first question. We are
1: community boss.
0: I like to ask how you like to build community in your personal and or professional life.
1: That's a great question. I love your questions, by the way. And I tried to study up, so I was ready for the quiz, <laughs> but you throw me already a, a great curveball question. So interesting enough for me, community is about really knowing ourselves first, right? And as we know ourselves and we put proper teams or community around us, then we start to see that's where we shine in the groups and the community the best. That's where we can add to the community and that we can actually be open for the community to add to us. So some people think community is all out there. And I believe the community starts within because once you know what your core values are, and once you know what you can contribute, your strengths and weaknesses, that's when you can step into an environment and really, like you said, contribute to a community, work environment, different organizations that you may belong to or volunteer for, and some you have to remove yourself because you find that community is not for you because it doesn't match your core values. And so I think that for me, building community starts with self and that's an unusual concept, but one that has really served me well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and if you don't feel comfortable in a place of work, Your community like your greater neighborhood and things like that or you don't know people it is hard to feel rooted and like you belong somewhere so yeah that, that does make a lot of sense so yeah thanks for sharing that so next question when it comes to community part of that is hospitality and bringing people together and what better way to do that than through a meal so whether it's one you make or one you buy what would you provide for somebody that you had over for a dinner.
1: And you asked the craziest question to get the craziest answer for this one. (laughs) I don't cook. I don't prepare sandwiches and I (laughs) have never. And so you have hit the example of the example. I just have worked and I've traveled for a living and, and I married a man that's okay with us trying different restaurants every night. And (laughs) literally we do not cook and it's a it's actually my one like form of freedom for myself. And, and kind of an interesting side note, I'm a level eight Google guide, which means that Google tracks every restaurant I'm in. And I have a following and I have, I think 15 million on Google for my reviews.
0: Wait, what? 15 yeah. million people
1: have seen your reviews? They've seen my photographs and my reviews and So so yeah, when you eat out all the time, it's like natural, right? But what's interesting is that Google's invited me out and actually I partake in some of the beta testing they do. And so it all started with a sandwich in actually Portland, Oregon, when I was on business and I took a picture of the sandwich and Google 15 years ago asked me, would you like to be a Google guide? Sign up here. And so when you see pictures on the internet, they're mine. That's funny.
0: Wow. So how many, we'll get to the actual question in a second. Now I'm just curious. How many restaurants, different restaurants to your knowledge, have you been to?
1: It, Idea. It, it could be in the statistics, but it would have to be in the thousands. Literally traveling for nine years every week for nine years all over the country for my job. And I always like different restaurants. I never, sometimes at home, we go to the same local places, yeah. but but I'll do what even showcases on my Facebook page for my family and friends for like my finding local is what I call it, and I review basically even my local new restaurants. Wow! Like I said, just became a hobby, but almost out of necessity. But it's it's just a passion and a love. We're gonna go to something called Black Sheep tonight somewhere here in Virginia. My sister knows I'm a restaurant buff, but I, I just went to Founding farmers which is actually based on thomas jefferson the whole theme of the restaurant is based on him and it's called founding farmers and and it's just those kind of unique places really i love wow so man that
0: blows my mind
1: so you didn't know what
0: you're asking did you no that's really interesting okay (laughs) all right that's cool yeah i'll have to check out your now, do you get anything from that? Do you get paid? Do you? Uh, get
1: no, <laughs> they're using me for a tracking oh, wow. mechanism of some sort. But they do offer sometimes some incentives and goals, and you get badges and you get all kinds of little things. And I have actually just achieved the ten percent. I am a ten. I'm in the top ten percent of Google restaurant reviewers. Wow!
0: So yeah. like that many people have said this was helpful type of thing or whatever. Yeah.
1: I've actually, re- I've actually reviewed that many restaurants that oh I'm God. in so, top 10, that number of restaurants, I don't know what the number is, but it's, it has big.
0: to be a lot. It's big. <laughs> wow. Fun fact, people, this is brand new information. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that now and not ahead of time. Cause that was yeah. a good little tidbit. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I guess the question is then what restaurant and type of food would you take someone to?
1: So, again, I like really sometimes a collectively different or something that really can showcase what they can do. And I discovered one yesterday that's now about to be like targeted on my profile, but it's actually a Korean bakery and mm. they have probably a hundred desserts that all have, they call it milk bread. And it has a very unique filling inside of it. And it's a spin on a donut shop, but more decadent and a little more probably expensive, I'm sure. But just the art to it that they can do and the detail and where they really have crafted the quality is what I really like. So when I can find something that's new, up and coming, I think it's called Tula Zoo, I think. But it's up and coming here in the Virginia area. And a very quality product that they give.
0: Nice. Thanks for sharing. I hope they dri- you drive some good business to them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. And then third and final question, when it comes to your caffeinated beverage of choice, it used to be coffee. Now I just asked that. What is your go-to?
1: <laughs> Interesting enough, for the last 20 years, I was caffeine-free. I didn't right. do anything but a sweet tea. I have started periodically indulging in the Starbucks or the, a good cappuccino, but sweet tea has to be my favorite. I'm from Texas, born and raised, and now in North Carolina. So my like the caffeine, the sugar and the caffeine come from really sweet tea. <laughs> All right. So you run on sweet tea. It's in your veins. <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And none of that like non-sweet tea with some additive to it, <laughs> like the true sweet
0: tea <laughs> oh man see i can't i've been to the south i've a few times and i guess it depends on where you go but i feel like legit sweet tea is legit sweet oh
1: yeah we don't it's... like it we true sweet tea drinkers will rather drink water than bad sweet tea
0: oh, i don't know that i can handle it honestly yeah. like yeah. i i'm that's
1: like the heart. No. that's true
0: that's true <laughs> yeah yeah i i I'm from the northwest. We do we do have sweet tea. I think it's thanks to places like Chick Fil A.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> we have sweet tea. And if you go to a, you happen to go to some southern style restaurant, you'll get some yeah. sweet tea. But other than that, it's not a prevalent option here in Seattle. Coffee obviously is the go to here. But I've had it a few times, and I'm just like, I don't know, I can't handle it. It's just too much. <laughs> it's too sweet. I usually, yeah. I like, I really like an Arnold. Palmer, and oh, yeah. when I go to like when I go to Chick Fil A though, I'm always like unsweetened tea with light lemonade. Sure, so I just like a lightweight. lightweight.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Well, you haven't had real sweet tea than Southern made, like we, you know, how we actually make it in the sun. My grandmother has a recipe, so she makes her. It's called sun tea, and so okay. they actually you actually put the water in a jug, a clear jug, and you put the bags in it. And you actually let the sun bake the tea, Huh? but it's yeah, called probably Ch- haven't. it's the Southern best way to have tea.
0: Is that why at Chick-fil-A they call it sun joy?
1: No, know? it's probably a brand of some sort, but all yeah. Right. Yeah. No.
0: yeah. Cause they, when you do the Arnold Palmer, they call it a sun joy mm-hmm. there. So anyways, they mix the two enough of that though. Okay. So sweet tea is your go-to good. Noted noted. Do you <laughs> like coffee at all?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. I'll tell you a funny, here's a funny side note on coffee related to multifamily. I went up to to, uh, San Francisco for a a a conference about 15 years ago. And we were standing there at Pete's Coffee. They had brought it into the conference and the barista was explaining to us how they train the baristas differently at Pete's Coffee by they want you to know the persona of your customer. So they actually are trained to basically body language, read what you, they think you would like. And, and so there's six weeks of training just for that on people. And I think that's fascinating in the customer service world that we live in, that you're actually taught the psychology of your customer. And then, but as I was enjoying my cappuccino that he had just made me extra sweet, Elon Musk walked up next to me and spent 15 minutes telling me what he thought the multifamily industry was going to have, was going to happen in the next 15, 20 years. And uh, yes. And he, so I didn't know who it was. (laughs) I just knew there was this tall man talking to me about coffee and multifamily. And so when we went in to sit down, he was our keynote speaker. And I, I still at the time didn't really know who he was, but he showed us pictures of Apollo 8. I think that's in the lobby of his of his headquarters. So I knew he was somebody of importance. And literally he brought 50 slides of future inventions and things that he's excited about and that he's investing in. It was 50 slides and we didn't get through them all. (laughs) But what's the
0: major thing that he thought was gonna happen in multifamily?
1: So interesting enough, and he called this before 2020, he said, we need heat, heated. And cold and hot boxes designed on the outside of each door for delivery of hot and cold foods so imagine if you actually had a foyer or something next to the apartment that had a locker and then mm. that locker could hold cold or hot delivered groceries and foods
0: yeah no i i've
1: my brain has gone there too i'm like yeah that seems so imagine like- it was like That, like I said, and then of course DoorDash came along and like delivery of groceries, but I had that conversation with them well before 2020.
0: Interesting. And when was that?
1: I went back to look at it and I think it was 2015 spark conference. It was their first one. So I need to go back and actually get the year, but I believe it was 2015.
0: Okay. Yeah. Look at you just running into people going (laughs) globe, trotting the world, eating at all the restaurants. This is quite interesting. Well, thank you. Um, Lisa, thanks for answering my questions. Now we'll get into it, right? You got 36 years, 36 years in this industry of multifamily. If you want to just share kind of the highlights of some of the things (laughs) that have really shaped your career, I think it'd be quite interesting. Yeah, go for
1: it. I think I'll start with the actual 36. So I was at a conference one time and somebody walked up and said, we only say 25. Plus years, okay. and I said, "We do." <laughs> I didn't realize that it was uncouth of me to say anything more than twenty-five plus years. Me and <laughs> and I thought, what? Well, I thought, but I earned those thirty-six years. I just right? I have to laugh because, jokingly, that's what was my instinct, and and I understand nobody wants to do the math and find out that I, my very first job in college was actually managing the on-campus apartments. So. My very first year, I was at the housing department and said, I need a place to live that's year round. And they said, we got this and here's the keys. Can you run it for us? <laughs> so that actually <laughs> actually, is how I got in the business.
0: Interesting. Did you work and, for the university?
1: It, it was of... uh, Stephen F. Austin State, McAdooches, Texas. Okay. And so, I, and since then, I, and after that, I progressed and worked for five different universities in their housing division of student housing. It was a great part of my career to have that five, six years focus on where we did a lot of resident events. We did diversity events. We built community because it was more the residence hall environment. It was more about caring for the residents, crisis management, anything that the students needed, we handled. In addition to filling the beds, move in and move outs, mask turns and dealing with vendors, but... I think when I shifted over to the conventional side, I think the asset, right? And our, for the longest time, the facilities part of our job really is what I learned next. So mm. I got the community side doing the student housing, but I got the facilities by actually being on site, maintenance guys, training, making sure that we had proper pool certifications, HVACs, sprinkler systems, and learning more that that side of it. So I could bring the community that I already developed plus the facilities. And then over the course of time, I started asking questions about the prop management or our, at the time we almost really universally, everybody had Yardy in the um, 2000s. And about 2005, I, along with a team, out of India, actually developed a property management software program for assisted senior living using really my notes from what you already needed to improve on. And we filled a need in that area and sold that to RealPage in 2010. And then as we finished that, we went into, I, I had been in the property management space the whole time and really just got to explore what it was like to have 12 different sites in seven different states. And then I was seeing different laws, different regulations. Some were very manual based states. Others were very up to date and had their own laws and everything. And I got to see the diversity of our industry really being on a national scale.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Out of everything so far, like what have you loved the most? What part of the industry? what whether it's student conventional senior prop tech like what is what's the one thing that you just look back on and just your
1: favorite i think for all of us that are in this industry and making a difference with people and making a difference in, in general in our in what we do that's what matters to me so that's the stuff that i can leave a an organization and know that they have a developed training program now because I was a stand for them to have that or a marketing department expanding more into the t- technology areas that they weren't comfortable going into or my newest passion has been the fraud, which we mm. could get into a little bit, but the it's where are, the everyday things that we do are vital. But where are we where are we missing things? What's where's the cracks that form? that everybody's so busy, we just gloss over them. And then, mm. and that's what I like to do is fill that need and find really what is the, and I think it's in our DNA in property management, but we're problem solvers. We we are, who we're the first responders, The we're in the building first kind of people. And so I think that is why innovation, adding it to the title for me, for myself and for my company really sparks that anywhere there's innovation we're growing and i have i actually have a big giant board that sits behind my desk it says learn and it says grow and anywhere where i'm doing that
0: (laughs) nice so what you're working on now when it comes to your consulting what kinds of projects are you working on that you're excited about
1: some of them i've signed ndas i can't talk about all of them But some of them are, I really want to bring, the AI component is really important. And we've talked about it. Everybody has like different languages for new terminology that we know in the industry. People have said centralization, specialization. You'll notice you haven't yet heard the word automation. It's like, we're keeping that on the back burner because we wanna go through a mental shift of centralization to Mm. get to automate, to get to automation. Right. And in some cases, that's the question that we really have to ask ourselves is how are we balancing the people side of our industry with technology and how are we doing it in such a way that it serves everybody and not just serves one group or the other. And I love that we have vendors that are bringing us new innovation every day. I love the vendor. I'm a big I'm a big cheerleader for innovation. So I'm out there, hey, have you heard about this? How about this? This app's coming. It may not need it now, but if they put it in their back pocket, that could be a year down the line that they could use that service, but mm-hmm. they don't even know it, they don't even know it exists. And yeah. so that awareness is another part of my goal to give back. To the industry that i've been a part of
0: nice so automation is a big one for what you're seeing and i think that was even one of your bullet points yeah transitioning to automation to improve customer and employee satisfaction so how do you see key ways of doing that
1: i think i think we have to think differently we want to make processes and say we did these three steps manually and then we Mm -hmm. think we're building technology that says here we need these three steps done with technology. And the truth is, what if there's eight steps and there none of these three are even needed any longer? Right? Mm-hmm. So we have to completely reinvent in some cases what we think about in our industry way out there, Elon Musk talking about the hot and the cold lockers, right? Yeah. So when you have that. He's speaking that kind of thing out in the world. He's saying he saw a need. He saw something that was coming up that he felt that he was confident enough to share about it. And he wasn't worried about what I thought about that idea or if it was going to ever feasibly work and be cost effective or anything Mm -hmm. to that degree. He just, he dreamed something different than what we've seen in multifamily. And yeah. We're talking about dreams here. We're talking about really, really creating.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what's the one area that you see the biggest opportunity when it comes to that improving customer and employee satisfaction? Is there a specific like aspect of the job where you just think, man, if we just made some kind of tech for it, it would be a game changer.
1: Yeah. I think my biggest is just, we went to go back to community. How do we stay connected? What is the most current way to connect? And this is where, if we go back and ask ourselves, is that email? Is that text messaging? Is that DMing people through Instagram or Twitter? Or how is that communication? And what is our resident's favorite form of communication? And what if we actually had the ability or eventually get to where They can check a button at move in and their favorite communication is on TikTok. Please talk to me on TikTok and send me all my communication about my community on in my inbox at TikTok. And Mm. so if we could automate that instead of saying, here's how we communicate, really going out and finding out how do you communicate? And Mm. what if their friend group is all WhatsApp? And we're over there struggling in the office, downloading it on a personal phone of the managers to try to figure out how WhatsApp is working. So when we talk about connection, it's really meeting people where they are and communicating and being in touch with them. I stay on Facebook because my entire family, I've traveled my whole life and they've been able to live through my travels because I wasn't home. And so that connection, keeps me connected with my community in Texas, even living in North Carolina. But somebody else's newest communication, which I believe is actually TikTok, is not even really being talked about. And I said this five years ago, probably, yeah, about four and a half, five years ago, TikTok will be one of the number one communicators for us, and that we will do a lot of business off of TikTok. And that was four and a half years ago, and we just didn't move on it fast enough. And there are communities now that are posting videos and how to take out your trash or whatever that might be. And they have a following, but that's the question, right? Is, can we be flexible enough to adapt to changing environments and serve people where they are?
0: Yeah. No, I've actually had guests. My second guest, it was over a year ago, April of 2022. She's actually a customer of ours, Veronica Soto out of Delano, California, just a small town north of, I think, Bakersfield, and oh, yeah. she's just in a small town, but she uses TikTok, she uses Instagram, Facebook, to interact with her residents, but mm-hmm. also people that aren't her residents, and she'll showcase she'll showcase community events, things that are happening, even bad stuff, like a fire and stuff, like she puts it all out there, mm-hmm. and updates people on what's going on, and keeps them up to date, and like community things, and she does a really good job of not just being like, here is an apartment. Yes. <laughs> that is all. She like actually shows the entire community and how, what it's like to live at their community.
1: And we can throw something, We some of us still do it, but I used to create a monthly newsletter with an update of what's going on in the area, local events, good restaurants, and of course, communication about rents due or what have you. But I would have people come in if we didn't do it or we were delayed getting it out by the first, come in and go, did I miss it? And we thought people are not even probably reading this, but we were printing it out and still putting it on doors. So the power of that communication, it doesn't matter how you do it. You just have to do it. That's right. All, that's the bottom line. And we forget that sometimes when we get so busy or we get stuck in one technology and we say, we've emailed them five times. Okay, but did we text them? Did we call them? Did we reach out right. other ways? And right. so I think we're just in that teenage stage of that. And that's where the technologies will come in. That we'll be able to send one message, all platforms.
0: But their preferred one.
1: Their preferred one. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, I think that's good. That's a good idea, especially for residents. Because if you're sending it to email and a person doesn't check their email, then it's pointless
1: yeah. That's exact <laughs> that's exactly where we are. That's yeah. that's where we are. And yeah. everybody can and because we're so diverse from maybe locations, like what's popular in certain big cities versus a small town, or what is gonna be popular within an age group, whatever that might be, it's widely diverse. And mm-hmm. I think it's a little overwhelming. So I think a lot of companies are like, oh, we're gonna communicate these two ways or four ways. And that's why I think the technologies can come in and save the day on that type of stuff for
0: us. That's a good segue into something we were hitting on was like emergency management and messaging for that, like communicating to people in a way where they're going to actually receive that emergency alert. Yes. I was just in Maui. I will tell you, I was not adequately notified of what was happening. Mm -hmm. I was there. I was a visitor. I was very uncertain about my current state of safety. And it was like after the fact that I got the notification saying I could return to my place that I was staying. And I was like, I didn't know I was supposed to leave that place.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. So you got the communication. It's okay to go back, but not one that said to leave, right? Nope. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. That's not good. I 100% can feel for that kind of crisis on, especially one, an island with no place to really go if you had yeah, to go somewhere. that's where you are. Really? Yeah. And yeah. two, to be, like you said, an unknown, familiar place. You've never been there before, so you weren't that comfortable to, to begin with. Yeah, I, but here's what we, in property management, do we do that for our residents? We yeah. talk about it. We have mm-hmm. some policy on a shelf somewhere. But are we doing a fire drill ever? We used to do those. We'd bring them out, do a fire drill and feed them ice cream, right? Mm -hmm. But it gave us an opportunity to get them out of the building and they take it seriously. And they, Mm -hmm. we communicate with that. I'm very passionate about that because I lost, in a major fire many years ago, I lost 12 units and we almost lost like several pets Mm -hmm. and some people that were sleeping. And it was, it was, we were in crisis management and it happened right at six o'clock when the team had just kind of left and I happened to be still sitting in the office. And then I called all my team back and we just had to go through instinctively what we needed to do and, but also what we'd been trained to do. And I just don't see that as much anymore. Hurricanes, fires, active shootings. It's, oh, if we don't talk about them, they won't happen, but In those same modules that we've created, are we practicing them? Do we have a code word to get everybody in the office? If your text the word active, then hunker down and call 911. Somebody's an active shooter, right? Do we have those code words amongst the team that we know those kind of things? And so it's just a reminder, it's hurricane season coming, that anybody that is out there that deals with what we're dealing with in the world today, To revisit all of those emergency procedures because the Maui thing is a crisis Mm -hmm. and definitely unpredictable, but not being prepared. Yeah, and you said you said that's what struck me the most. You said if I could give them feedback as a yeah as the officials to the island, it was not handled the way you thought it should be, and was very the communication was very lacking.
0: And and I'll say this too, we left as soon as we could. It wasn't until Friday. That's the earliest flight we get onto. We were just there. And it's if you don't know how to adequately communicate to people, I want to say there was a lot of tourists that didn't even understand that there was a crisis happening.
1: I'll just mm. be honest.
0: Because they were in yeah. tourist mode and they were like probably not checking the internet. They weren't mm-hmm. like looking at the news. Like they probably were oblivious to a degree.
1: Um, unlike our normal residents who are at work. <laughs> Or yeah. sleeping or whatever yeah. you're absolutely right they're not yeah. everybody's tuned in to local news all the time or an adequate way to do that so that would be posed a question for all of us again are we are we aware of our environment enough to know where the exits are when we go to a movie yeah, theater those kind of
0: things i wouldn't right? i wouldn't have personally known about this except for the fact i happened to turn on the radio because we were about to go up the mountain to the crater and they said something oh. about a wildfire and I was like what wildfire <laughs> and where is that so I had to look yeah. on a map I'm like where's this fire and but I only it's only because I happened to re- listen to the radio mm-hmm. uh, most exactly. of the time we were just listening to Spotify
1: yeah yeah you're on vacation <laughs> of course yeah. no, I'm sorry true. that you had to go through that because I know yeah. that just the unknown of that is is always a little leery and when your vacation got cut short so I hope yeah. you Plan another one soon just to yeah. wipe that one off the books, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and eventually. And right now, I'm more concerned about the people that are local that are they can't lost leave, everything, lost, yeah. lost their home, lost loved ones.
1: Well, it goes to the same though the miscommunication, right? Mm-hmm. Again, when we don't establish something as simple as communication, what we just talked about, meeting people where they are and getting the, that communication to them then the miscommunication can find them as well and had you get been given proper information and given a little more direction maybe you wouldn't have flown out early or i'm just saying that i think that's been what we've heard the most about maui right now is almost the miscommunication has been the news instead of the mm-hmm. tragedy yeah. of what's lost yeah and yeah. so that that's what i would recommend for us to just take it and definitely donate or be part of any kind of solution for Maui and support them, but also take it back to what we can learn in our own environments.
0: Totally. Because there's tragedy that can happen anywhere. There can be natural disasters that can happen anywhere. Fires obviously can happen anywhere. Yeah. And, and whether it's an intensity of heat or whatever, it doesn't matter. This stuff just can happen. It, and the, and, you just need to be ready for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the, I think that's the hardest part is what do you prepare for? And I think even generally just having a basic plan sometimes is the plan.
0: (laughs) As long as everybody knows what it
1: is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good thing to have a plan and nobody knows. (laughs) That's that's when you know that the plan's not working.
0: (laughs) When you just make the emergency exit routes, put them in frames and put them in hallways and that's the extent of your
1: (laughs) involvement. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to continue to learn from that because we know, we know that everybody has a different way of learning. They're a visual map person. Like you said, Mm -hmm. some people want to learn by hearing information or having somebody physically knock on their door. If you're right, it it sounds like you were in an Airbnb, so that might be a little more difficult, but I've seen condo. It was a condo building. Yeah but i've seen hotels do amazing job in the past where i've been involved where they've communicated had the proper bells the proper exits everything illuminated and got us out of a hotel at 3am one time for a fire so those success stories like that also are important
0: yeah yep that's true and learn and disseminate the successes so that we can do that more places
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly
0: yeah. well, thanks for sharing about that so Another thing that I know has been pretty rampant is fraud and something that you're touching on here and just something you're seeing, and maybe even from a tech standpoint, you're seeing some solutions. So what is the, what's the, the status of fraud right now?
1: I think that it's best for me to talk about a little bit of my own history with the fraud first so we can see the progression when 2016, 2015, 2016, I was working out of California and we were having issues with fraudulent applications. And we made a note of it. We addressed it. I was also at a Vegas property that had already had a lot of fraud moved in. And I just attributed it to bad prior management and just chucked it up. And we fixed it by running background checks on everybody on renewal and just really having to clean it up in North Las Vegas, where there's a lot of stuff to clean up <laughs> Yeah, and So I was seeing that in, like I said, 2014, 2015, 2016. 2017, when I came to North Carolina, I was going through and auditing files and looking at files and seeing paycheck stubs that didn't make sense and procedures on things that weren't adding up. Two and two weren't going for on some of the different files. And I just said, oh, it must be a North Carolina thing. Like just when you work in a different environment, sometimes culturally things are handled differently in different states and and i just learned that first year while i was in north carolina and then i noticed again in 2018 we've got a big problem with delinquency skips and evictions people aren't really caring about their credit history at a a higher percentage than i would consider average and so by 2018 2019 i did like this extreme i put a compliance officer in place who looked at every file And then I did an extreme thing, which was really focused on the delinquency, because if we had people regularly paying and really were highlighting those people that weren't paying or not paying or slow paying, we were catching some of our fraudulent activity. And so I did a contest with my assistant managers. They won $1,000 when they ended the year with a zero, zero delinquencies. And so we went into 20. December 31st, 2019 is when we did the contest. And I had sites that the managers had zero delinquencies. So 2020, when we went through that process, collections wasn't a problem. We had no problem with collections because we dressed it hyper-focused on the collections the first, the last two years. But what we noticed was the new people coming in because we handled the delinquency, we could focus then on new incoming and that's when we really saw the fraud come back up in mass volume Mm. and really what i was shocked by was the abuse that our on-site teams take by the fraudulent applicants they believe if they can bully the leasing agent they can get in and if they push or they resist and not deliver the paperwork or whatever it might be, the tactic they use in the moment is what we saw happening with 20%, 30% of our applicants. Mm -hmm. And when that number kept growing and growing, I reached out and started reaching out to prop tech companies. I started reaching out to TransUnion. We really, I really started the alarming bell for me in about mid to late 2020. And then by 2021, we were seeing almost 40% fraud. And this is Charlotte, this is coming out of Savannah, this is Raleigh. So we really had to, again, focus in and see the extent that the fraud was coming into our environments. And so when I started to look nationally, I went to national conferences, started talking to vendors, and that's when I saw It wasn't just North Carolina. It wasn't just my environment. That's when I really realized going back through and talking to colleagues in Texas and other places, it was just as pervasive. Hmm. So Evan, this is the important part. What I thought was a local fraud group of people is a national
0: group of people. Oh, So it's like they're just nationally.
1: They're nationally targeting us.
0: Wow. And, so, and what kind this, of fraud? What kind of fraud is it? it?
1: Application fraud. Mm-hmm. That is fake socials, fake paychecks, fake credit scores, which is socials hiding criminal records, fake IDs. There's a couple of websites, and I won't say them on here because it promotes them, but we mm-hmm. found websites that actually you pay them $1,500 and they guarantee you they will do the paperwork and get you moved into any community of your choice. Wow. $1,500 is That's what they do. And, and
0: so, did this come out of people losing their job and like having delinquencies and stuff? Or what do you no. think? Like, why why the kind of, rampant?
1: It's, it's, they moved with technology like we moved with technology. So when we had online applications, they figured out how to hack those online applications. When we have lead tracking systems, they know how to track those two. They know if we're using TransUnion, they even know if we're using Yardi versus Resbin versus OneSite, they know each one of those and they study what your actual procedure is. They'll sit down in some cases, send somebody in and ask your leasing agent, so tell me exactly how the process works. And that leasing agent has no clue and they go, first we take your file and we put it into Yardi and then we screen it. And then we, they, they will give them they play by play, mm. at that property, and then they have the rule book. And right. this is the one thing I say about it: they do a better job advertising for residents than we do. Wow. They market to the fraud. So if you go on TikTok credit repair, they're going to talk to you and say, we're going to help you improve your credit. But when they get you in a side conversation, it's going to be, I can get you into any apartment you want.
0: So they're not even framing it as if it's fraud necessarily.
1: Oh no, they're- it's it, they're going to frame it like a service, but they're huh. using fake documents to get the people into the... To a
0: degree, the person paying for it may not realize the tactic they're using. They're just like, oh, they got me into an apartment.
1: I think that's probably 50-50, but they know that they're paying somebody to get them in a place that they couldn't get into themselves. But everybody knows about fraud. I say everybody. I keep talking about it because two things happen. The people reject that it's an issue and Mm. then there's no policies in place but then a year down the line, when they have 30% of their property vacate and don't follow the standard lease protocols and the the timing of the lease renewals, we end up with a a distressed property, right? So one fraud or two fraud, it is not what we're talking about here. If they find like a, imagine a screen and there's a hole in the screen and they're gonna put as many bugs in that screen as they can, waiting for you to close that up. And so literally screening is about making sure that you have the right applicant who makes the right amount and that we can verify that they are who they say they are to the best of our abilities. And that's where the technology is just now catching up. And there's some great vendors out there that have turned the corner on what we even look at. They can screen documents for fraud that's snapped. There's other properties that can actually help with the identification process. That's MRI does a lot with that. There's a lot of companies out there that are actively working in that space, but it's we have no general solutions and it's going to be a applicant by applicant and making sure the system that you have in place as a management company is the most effective that we, we can have at this time.
0: Yeah, so I have a question. Sure. Obviously, this is a problem. Totally. Why all of a sudden are there so many people utilizing it? What has happened in the, that it would so quickly ramp up? Like that many people are being rejected
1: at trying to rent. So that's a good <laughs> question. That's a great question. When the rents exceed, obviously, the three percent. We always say thirty percent of the of your income three times the rent is what we say right we say uh-huh. three times the rent is what you is to qualify you and some companies have got around that a little bit and they dropped it to 2.5 mm-hmm. but our industry has always been 2.5 or 3 but our rents are so high yeah. that are we dropping that to 2 or 1% to avoid having this happen we're not we're holding at 3% which may be an unrealistic or sorry 3 three times the monthly rent. And Mm -hmm. so we, again, what I said earlier in the beginning, when we started talking, we've got to think completely differently how we rent apartments and who's our applicants and how are we identifying them personally? It's
0: it's not realistic. I mean, I'll be flat out, I'll just be flat out honest about it My from my perspective to say three times rent, Mm -hmm. most people, I hope I qualify if I had to, I don't even know if I do like yeah. i was just looking at across the street the house if it were it, it's smaller house than mine not very big it just sold and it says that the mortgage with a 20 percent down would be $3,500 a month
1: yeah outrageous like,
0: outrageous <laughs> and this is a thousand square feet house like 1100 square feet yeah yeah so,
1: yeah. I, so, just, so like, I, I think you've just nailed it is that we're using old criteria in a yeah. totally different environment and yeah. it's spreading like wildfire because social media is going to do that it's going to take if one person says it on tiktok or 10 it's going to get out there that somebody's going to call that number and then they're going to tell their friends and they're going to tell their friends we want them to tell friends they love living at this community and spread yeah. that goodwill and but that's where we i think we've got to be We've got to be able to take a new look at it and really make sure that we collectively are on the same page, as well as in an the industry. And yeah. and I don't see that right now. I see a lot of disparity, even yeah. in some environments that don't want to talk about the fraud at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. We need to realize the rent we're asking people to pay is bonkers.
1: And and I don't think it's necessarily. I think what we have to. I think what's the bigger question everybody's asking is when wages haven't gone up, right? So we, there's yeah, human yeah. and we're seeing that as owners too. So I can take my management hat off and look at from the owner point of view and the asset management uh-huh. side, our property taxes and insurances in certain locations had doubled or tripled and insurance yeah. agencies, nine insurance agencies went out of business in Florida after uh-huh. that last major hurricane. And yeah. so. Those people were left with no money that had paid into insurance their whole life. We had a combination of overhead costs, technologies, cost, (laughs) insurance, property taxes, interest rates, all of that is in a collective that both renters are having to deal with, owners and asset managers are dealing with, and even homeowners are dealing with. Totally. Yeah, so I think we need to see it as a collective instead of pointing fingers, oh, it's it's just the landlords. Oh, or yeah. it's just, I think it's a collective that we are going through something with this inflation and with some of the fiscal policies and all of that. I think that we are navigating waters near a lot of big icebergs. I think that's where we are and we've got to be really careful at this point because that's what I think as an industry, when we look at some of these, I take it back to how's my little ship and can I, how do I preserve my ship to make sure I get through this, right? But as an industry as a whole, we also need to see what's, what are we communicating, what are we talking about and making sure that we have that. Distressed assets. If there's operators out there right now that are thinking they can just tough through this, and not reach out, not get additional investors, not have to do things they didn't want to have to do in their performance when they started two years ago, thinking they in 18 months they would have a flip on their hands and millions of dollars in their pocket, okay? Let's put it out there. Mm. Just the things that are going to happen that are going to create distressed environment. And as an industry, we've got to talk about it because we've got to put the solutions out there. We've all talked about it. I've heard people say, pencils down, meaning don't do a deal. I've heard people say, keep your dry powder. You need to wait through this. I've heard other people that say, "Woo, it's good. We're fine with it. Let's just keep moving on. And so a collective though, is to talk about that, that we didn't talk about in 08. It just hit us in the face. And then we picked up the pieces, right? So my real question out there is stopping and looking at the strategies that we're currently in with the outside environments and making sure that we're making the right decisions. And I've seen some in in some cases, entire management companies replace their executive team. So if you're gonna make that decision now, make it now. If you've got a hole in the ship Get it repaired. That's the only way that I can say it. Of, I'm not the advocate of doom and gloom. I'm really more of a creative mind that goes and creates into the future positive things. But when I also know that part of what we have to do in this quarter, the fourth quarter, and January, is be realistic and not think we can just muddle through it or ignore it; it'll go away. And I think if we can really talk about it, put the numbers on the paper and have some tough conversations, that's when you'll see we can make a shift. And that's where I'm the advocate for the industry because I just would like for people to make sure they're still, that we're talking about it. And that's like, same thing with fraud, exciting new prop tech, and new things that we've got coming on into the industry as far as building and developing and making sure that we've got good investors that are out there. But I think part of that is really going back to the basics and really having having a firm hold on what that is. So part of the asset management, just to give you a side note on that, one of the prop techs I'm working with and I advocate for this is transparency on the side of the management company with the asset managers that are the owner operators. And I really have a vision Of the prop tech that's gonna bring them together and speak the same language. Many times we have performa versus budget. And in property management, we live by budget and they live by performa. And it's in those, that's just one example. But I really would like to see us have a more enlightened partnership, educated environment versus owners panic and take over and want to run the management company from their side, or I see management companies that will just roll over and do whatever, their experience doesn't matter, they'll do whatever the owner wants them to do, and Hmm. they'll just drive the ship into the iceberg. You told us to do, that's what we did. So I really am an advocate for having those tough conversations in our industry, and making sure that people are okay with it, that it's not, they're not just, they're not just rubber stamping it, I guess is the best way to put it.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: Dialing it in. There's all kinds of remote yeah. <laughs> things you can say. And, and we have a great professional, educated, professional, trained group of professionals out there. You see them at the conferences. They've got 20, 30, 40 years under their belt and new vendors coming in all the time and reaching out to them and using their expertise in some cases to build their products. I love that stuff because that's when we're all getting involved and being part of really something a little bit bigger than just our day-to-day operations.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for touching on that. And then to wrap up, we actually have a question from Christy. Oh, I love questions. (laughs) There we go. Former guest of Boss Talks and just a great person. Christy asked, based yeah. on your expertise on this topic, what should be the first thing we should seriously look at or consider before these big changes occur?
1: Okay. So expertise on this topic. Can we clarify what this topic is? <laughs> We've covered quite a few. When
0: weeks. she was talking, she, she when you were talking, she responded to the crises at hand and making big shifts in like firing people and stuff like that.
1: Fun- processes and functionality really clear that everybody, if you are making a change to centralization, you're not doing it, you're not piecemealing it, or that some people on the in the organization are on one page and somebody else is on the other. It's really making sure that you have a, a strategy that's actually being either, you can beta test stuff on the side, that's fine too, but where I'm talking about at that level is really, it's just really a fire checklist, just like you would do a hurricane. Like We've got to prepare What are we going to do with the pool furniture? What are we going to do with the the staff? Are they going to work from home? What is that procedure for a hurricane? We're going to say that about a distressed financial environment as well, which means if we had to start identifying things we had to cut to get, if we lost stuff, what are the expenses that would definitely have to go? What conversations could we have with the teams to make sure they're enrolled and talking about what this crisis is? You've gotta make sure if you have that checklist of responsibility for a big crisis, are you hitting all the points and is everybody having those same conversations? The original strategies that I've done in the past, it may be a small group that really works through it and then we disseminate it, right? But we may in some cases wanna make sure that we're getting that information down to the lowest levels because frankly in 2008, I had to go to my team and say, you're not getting a raise this year. And it may be uh, a year or two years before you get a raise. And my team stayed because we communicated that. It wasn't just when they got to the day of their evaluation. Oh, sorry, I can't give you a raise because the economy. We had a collective conversation about that. And really two years kept all our employees and they did not get raises. And so that was, but that was a collective communication. That was a strategic plan and it was actually implemented well. And so I can really then say, that's the kind of tough conversations that we have to really look at and we're short staffed right now. So that may not be one that we want to look at. So we could set that one to the side, but what's another one that we would have to take off the table. And so I think it's more to are you having strategic meetings and talking about it versus just waiting for it to happen? And, Mm. and I think that's a, I think it's a great analogy, Evan, which we said, do we just let the hurricane hit us and figure it out? Or do we have a plan? Do we let the, (laughs) I know, but do we have the, do we have, do we let the downturn in the market or any kind of stressor on the market happen and then we figure it out? It's the same thing. So Mm. I think it's just, having a little bit deeper conversations than our, and we get so caught up in our industry with everything day-to-day that has to be done. That's why strategic planning and having these side conversations in a protected, safe environment it is important. And then you involve and enroll everybody else and in, in what that looks like. And I saw that we didn't do that necessarily well with PropTech technology in 2020 either, because we were handling the crisis and throwing in new technology. And Mm -hmm. so some of that overwhelm is the results of burnout and things that we see in our industry. And it's a lot, but that's why we're crazy enough to stay in it. And that's why we love it. And I would just, I think the two biggest takeaways I've always had is, can we talk about it and how do we learn and grow from it? And so those three will pretty much, that will get you, that will get you pretty far.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, you got to be transparent, honest, and let's just work through it. I think you definitely, you earn capital with your people when you're transparent and help them be a part of the solution almost.
1: That's just being in it. That's just being the boots on the ground and that's just being a part of it. And when it worked for me best, like you said, is those core values come from working those core values, from actually being trans like you said the integrity transparencies those kind of things but but yeah I love the topic I love this I watch you all the time Evan you have a great personality I loved that I told you before I love that when you showed us your workshop your garage and just how you know real that is that we all have to carve out a little space at home or wherever we we work to to be active involved and connect but you're doing what I love and that is connecting people thank you for that and i acknowledge you for doing that for us as a community
0: yeah no thank you thank you for saying that and i like hearing it because it it drives me to continue
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) so i have a really i have a really interesting thing i do with my teams and i want to do that with you because we sometimes acknowledge people in the way that we want to be acknowledged or what we think they want to hear But I always ask people, it's a little trick. It's called acknowledged. I feel acknowledged is what it is, right? And so my question would be for you, what do you want to be acknowledged for?
0: Exactly what you said. I think my natural gifting and the why I started doing this was connecting people. I have a back history of being in community building and connecting humans to one another in real life. And I was trying to figure out how do I do that in a way where I'm remote, other people are remote. How do we get people to come together, learn from one another and lift up everybody and not just a few? That's my goal and I hope it's happening and I hope people feel like it's happening.
1: That's great. So part of the exercise is you get to say what you wanna be acknowledged for and then I do acknowledge for you and say, I wanna acknowledge you for connecting people in a format where we don't have to be in the same room to still have the connection and the effect. And that you are able to make a difference in our industry and beyond. And the most important thing, I think, with that is what you said. and It is in a way that you can bring community together. So I acknowledge okay. you for that commitment to the community as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Appreciate that.
1: All right. All right. Thanks well, so much.
0: Yeah. Just like Lisa jumped mm-hmm. on. And thank you for that kind word at the end. I appreciate you being on the show today for jumping on and responding to my requests based on you just liken our page back at 500. Now we're at 1,100 followers on our page, which is exciting. And I hope it just continues to grow and more people get connected. But Lisa jumped in. She got on the show, shared her vast knowledge with the rest of you. If you didn't watch it live, I hope you watch it later. And if you want to be on the show, just reach out to me. I want to raise all people in this industry and give them a platform to share their knowledge, their experience, their expertise, why they're a boss at whatever level they are. Thanks again, Lisa. And I look forward to having our next guest next week. So tune in Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll see you here live, ask questions and participate.
1: Great. Thanks
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Boss Talks podcast. If you would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out via email at info at communityboss.com. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to like, share, and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also watch the podcast live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Community Boss LinkedIn or Facebook pages. Until next time, manage like a boss.